Welcome back. It's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo. Time once again for True Crime Tuesday. This week, we look into the history of one of the world's most notorious drug lords. In episode 32, The El Chapo Story. Joaquin Archivaldo Guzman Loera was born April 4th, 1957, to a poor family in a rural farm town in Sinaloa, Mexico, the middle child of 10 children. And although very little is known about his childhood, sources say he dropped out of school in the third grade to work with his father, a cattle rancher, and an alcoholic who used to beat young Joaquin, his other siblings, and their mother. By the time Joaquin was in his early teens, he began to cultivate opium poppy and ran his own marijuana farm by the time he was just 15, which he then used to support his family. During his teenage years, Joaquin's father kicked him out of the family's home, and he went to live with his grandfather. And it was around this time that Guzman earned the nickname El Chapo, which is Mexican slang for shorty, since Guzman only stood about five foot six. And although many people from that small farm town worked the poppy fields all of their lives, El Chapo wanted much more. So while in his early 20s, he left his hometown and went into business working for his uncle, Pedro Perez, one of the pioneers of Mexican drug trafficking. By the 1970s, El Chapo was working for a drug lord named Hector Palma, transporting drugs and overseeing their shipments from the Sierra Madre region to urban areas near the U.S. and Mexico border. Guzman was young, hungry, and growing to become more violent in his business dealings. If even one of their drug shipments was not on time, he would simply kill the smuggler with a gunshot to the head. By the 1980s, El Chapo had made quite the name for himself, working for the Guadalajara Cartel the leading crime syndicate in Mexico at the time. Guzman began working as a chauffeur for Felix Guiardo, one of the major drug lords in Mexico at the time, who he would later hire to work logistics, arranging for drug shipments between Colombia, Mexico, and the United States. In the meantime, the American DEA was cracking down on drug smuggling and began sending agents to infiltrate these Mexican drug cartels. One such agent was Enrique Camarena Salazar, was working as an informant and had grown close to a number of major players in the cartels, including Felix Guiardo. In November 1984, a marijuana farm was raided and destroyed by the Mexican military thanks to a tip from Salazar, who was later found, tortured, and killed for providing information that led to the destruction of the crop. Salazar's death triggered an all-out war between the U.S. government and the Guadalajara cartel, leading to the arrests of several key players, including Felix Guiardo, but the increased police activity only served as a distraction while the Guadalajara cartel dissolved and several other cartels divided their territory to keep operations going. And with this increased surveillance, Guzman had to figure out new ways of trafficking their product, including digging long underground tunnels and packing drugs into chili pepper cans that were transported from Mexico to the U.S. Before long, there was a lot of infighting between the various cartels. Murders, kidnappings, and bombings were rampant between the rival gangs, and investigations were launched into several of the killings. However, they were later called off after finding Guzman had paid off top police officials to the tune of nearly $10 million. The Mexican government, the Mexican government though, became fully involved after the incident on May 24, 1993, when nearly 20 Tijuana cartel hitmen opened fire at a white Mercury Grand Marquis parked at the Guadalajara International Airport, a car they thought belonged to the El Chapo himself. But as it turns out, 
actually contained the religious figurehead Cardinal and Archbishop of Guadalajara, Juan Jesus Posadas Ocampo, who died from 14 gunshot wounds. The shooting caused a national outrage, even from the Mexican president, who ordered a massive manhunt to find the people responsible for the attack and offered a nearly $5 million bounty for anyone involved. And with so much heat, El Chapo decided to flee the country and had plans to escape to El Salvador. However, he was being tracked by the government authorities from Mexico and Guatemala, who followed a $1.2 million payment to a Guatemalan military official who gave up Guzman's whereabouts. On June 9, 1993, the Guatemalan army swooped in and arrested Guzman at a hotel near the Guatemala-Mexico border. Two days later, he was flown back to Mexico for trial and sentenced to over 20 years for drug trafficking, criminal association, and bribery. However, El Chapo would only serve nine of those 20 years before he was indicted in San Diego on charges of money laundering and smuggling tons of cocaine and marijuana into the state of California. But things went sideways for the case on January 19, 2001, when Guzman escaped from the maximum security prison where he was being held in Mexico. After finding guards had been bribed to help El Chapo escape by climbing into a laundry cart and rolled out the front door into the trunk of a waiting car. Now, there have been 78 people since then implicated in Guzman's escape plan, including the director of the prison, who is currently serving time in prison themselves for aiding in the escape. The night of the escape, Guzman's getaway driver stopped for gas. But when he came back, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman had escaped on foot into the night. And our story doesn't end there, but you'll have to wait until next week for part two of our story about El Chapo as True Crime Tuesday continues with episode 32. We'll see you next week.